Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, and today's podcast, we're speaking to Georgina Poole. Georgina gives us insights into working in mining, construction, and running the Leading Safely podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. All right. Hello and welcome to Georgina Poole. Georgina, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Tom. How are you? Oh, excellent. It's it's about 33 degrees over here in Port Hedland. Uh, we are uh, li- living the dream. I think winter lasted two weeks. So, uh, yeah, it's been quite nice. All right, uh, Georgina, I've known you for a number of years now. Uh, watched your mm-hmm. pro- career progress with great interest. Uh, been very proud of what you've been able to achieve. Um, but some of the listeners may not know a bit about you. So can you tell us a bit about you and your background and then tell us what you're up to now? Sure. Um, so obviously, uh, as a safety professional, been in the industry for about 16 years, um, started out in mining. So across the, the Bowen Basin, you know, Queensland, central Queensland area, working my way through various mine sites there. Um, spent some time in construction, um, not the most favourable of my experiences. <laughs> and then obviously um, spent some time in Western Australia working on a few of the really core cool kind of mine sites over there for about four years um, in time frame um, speaking. So a lot of my career has been mining, oil and gas and, you know, those high risk kind of industries. Um, working my way through, um, had a baby, so decided we wanted to come back from WA and, and put our base back in Queensland, which is where I'm born and bred, obviously. And get back to our support network. So that was the reason for leaving WA and us and moving across the country again, um, back to Queensland. Um, since being back in Queensland, I took a step away from those boots on the ground type safety advisor roles, which I'd done for basically my whole entire career. Um, spent some time in a training position and then kind of got almost headhunted into um, the role that I'm currently in with Lydia Group as a health and safety consultant, where I'm developing their um, HSC offering um, to the market. 
um, and I guess more excitedly also working on my own professional development through um, my health and safety podcast called the Leading Safely Podcast, which would be a cool, obviously. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And I've, I've had a listen to the, uh, all four of the episodes. Um, excellent work. I'm uh-huh. really impressed. A um, few things you mentioned there um, that I just want to go on to. Construction industry, not your favourite mm-hmm. period of time. Um, care to elaborate? <laughs> um, sure. So I spent just on six months roughly working for a major um, player in the, the building and construction industry. Um, unfortunately, I was uh, crying every two to three days. I was arguing with people in senior management positions for basic things like shelter for the guys out on site. I paid for toilets out of my own salary. Um, I put up hemp fencing. I was getting my hands dirty um, and we were doing things like providing inductions out the back of the ute. Um, you know, not the most favourable environment. Construction for me is there's a huge difference and it's where you can, you know, make a great impact as a safety professional. Mm. But the stress and the emotional kind of overload that goes along with being in that role at that time was not where I wanted to be. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not the nicest experience. But definitely, you know, I'm not saying no to everyone in safety. I'm just saying um, it's a very tough space to be in and you have to be within the right organisation with the right support networks in place. And I unfortunately didn't experience that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got a few <laughs> horror stories of my own, but not in construction. This was on mining sites where it was... Yeah. Uh, being the highly intelligent person I was, I was working security. And, um, mm-hmm. for example, um, our employer decided we were drinking too much water in the uh, in the middle of summer. Oh, and so li- right. li- limited us to uh, one of those big bottles of water for two shifts mm-hmm. per day. And yeah, that mm-hmm. was good. Or taking away <laughs> taking away chairs so you have mm. to stand on concrete for, 20, for, for 12 hour shift left one oh, of the guys wow. almost crippled but yeah i understand where you're coming from when you, when you have that really poor culture they're really yeah. poor understanding of, of of what it's about and it's seen as just a simple uh thing that you have to do the ticking boxes exercise correct it, it it's sort of soul destroying and you walk away from that and you go yep never doing that again so yeah that's understand. exactly what it was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, What does the Lydia Group do? Because I'm a bit naive. Um, So Lydia Group is a project management consultancy firm. Um, They have, you know, commercial managers, project managers, um, you know, all across, I guess, procurement, a whole variety of areas. And the HSE space is something new that I've been brought in to develop. So we don't currently have HSE-related clients. That's something I'm currently working on at the moment. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Well qualified too. All right, your podcast. All right, um, going to put you on the spot. Why? Sure. Okay. Um, well, I obviously attend a lot of um, functions and events within the health and safety space. And what I found was I was attending all of these fantastic events with all of these fantastic presenters. However, the information the presenters sometimes provide is not at a level that I feel guys that are in boots on the ground positions would be able to understand. So whilst my podcast is called Leading Safely and, of course, is aimed at every level of the organisation, the aim and the hearts and minds that I want to influence is the CEO level, but it's also those supervisors and lower-level kind of positions that are out there talking to personnel um, that really can create that change that we we need to see in our industry. So I speak at a level that I hope identifies with the guys and girls who are on a site, you know, and can identify with what I'm saying 
Um, I'm not talking in psychological degree speak. I'm not talking mm-hmm. in, you know, MBA level. I'm, I'm talking at a level I feel is convenient. And the time frame, so my, my podcast, but my episodes are always around that 10 to 15 minute space. It's because I want people to go, well, I could sit in the lunchroom for 10 minutes and catch up on how to, you know, positively influence, or I could, you know, be in the gym, you know, after camp and do, you know, a podcast and listen to it. So it's not aimed to be two hours of your time. It's just a quick listen while you're on a commute or something like that. Excellent. Excellent. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I believe it or not, remember from episode one, you define what safety leadership was and who you were aiming it at. So that was excellent. You weren't aiming it necessarily at uh, the university type uh, types who do the yeah. higher research, but just the people who can make a difference. And I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. uh, hit the nail on the head. I think the biggest difference that can happen on any site with safety is when you influence the frontline supervisor. Um, they're the ones who tend to have most control of uh, what happens on their site. It's fine to have all these wonderful mm-hmm. policies and procedures. But if they're not actually enforced, if they're not followed through, if it's done nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and, and you know, we'll do it when we're being yeah. watched, everything tends that's to fall it. apart. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's good. Okay. Uh, you mentioned uh, a little bit of time in, in uh, training and education. How did that go? Um, I actually found the training space really um, fantastic. Um, from a personal recognition and reward space. So I found getting feedback from students, you know, saying how great it is that I'm providing examples that they can relate to and that kind of mm. real life experience was really fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and would happily step back into any kind of, you know, training-orientated role. Um, I did do education directly out of um, high school, so I did spend time as a teacher. It's okay. just my career took a mining-orientated uh you know, kind of role instead of staying teaching with school children instead of adults. Mm. All right. I'm going to ask your opinion. I may may already have an inkling or a, a bit of a clue about it. <laughs> sure. All right. What's the difference between good quality safety training and less than good quality safety training? The trainer. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. 100%. You could have really bad content and have a fantastic trainer who can make it identifiable with real world experience and, and, you know, be at level with students and the content goes out the window. In the same instance, you could have fantastic content but have a really, really dodgy trainer and Mm. it means nothing. It's all about how you convey that message in that frontline face-to-face environment and if you can really give real life examples and show the students that you've been there or that you, you can provide those examples they may come across, that's what makes the training stick. Yep. It's not you can stand up and talk. Anyone can stand up and talk. It's about having that experience. And we all know, you know, you can go to uni and become an educator, fair call, but that doesn't mean you're going to be great at what you do in any industry, not just training. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. Um, I've- I've seen some marvellous people. I've seen marvellous people from industry who can't teach. I've seen some wonderful teachers who have no real life example and, you know, they're like, <laughs> they're, they're like presenting things out of textbooks yeah. and people are going, well, how does that apply? And they've got nothing. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it takes a combination of both. And I think, I think if you can't explain a concept to somebody in terms that they're going to see the relevance of or the what they can put into their, their own world, 
it's kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you because you've been on both sides, you've been on industry, you've been an educator mm-hmm. as well, or trainer, facilitator, whatever the names they call them these days. Um, what's the one concept that you think when you teach people in, about safety, the one concept that they struggle to understand the most? Um, for me, it's around the space on hazard and risk management, only because I've seen what that result kind of looks like when you're conducting a risk assessment or facilitating mm. some sort of risk management speak out on site. Um, I had senior level kind of geotechnical um, gentlemen out on site say that they were um, going, they were basically going close to a, a 10 metre drop, a hole, a void, and they were using their feet to tap the ground as their control measure and when I asked what what do you do if someone falls one of them actually gestured and put his hand out and grabbed the shirt of the other and he said that was their control for well if one's going to fall it was like I'm just going to grab him and like literally reach out and grab his shirt so we didn't need to have working at height for fall or (laughs) or any sort of measures that's what we did but on their risk assessment on their JHA they listed PPE as an item of um, you know, control. They listed tying their shoelaces up as a method of control, but they failed to identify the 10 metre drop that they could potentially fall over. Yeah. So again, it comes back to that training and that interaction. And I often ask myself, what kind of training did they have that unfortunately missed the boat when it came to hazard and risk management? And when I did training, I spent a lot of time in giving those examples and saying, Flip trips and falls is not a hazard. It's what happens to you when and then give me those. That's the hazard. And, you know, there's a difference between an okay risk assessment and a quality risk assessment that takes the time. They're not done in the office. They're not done, you know, on the bus. They're not done by senior management. So it's the hazard of risk management to tie that question off for you. That, for me, is the real thing that just all levels, like all levels of positions, just don't critically get. Excellent, excellent. Um, one of those things, you talked about your podcast and I, I, I'm quite a fan of it myself. If I wanted to listen or if one of the listeners wanted to listen to your podcast, where would they go? Um, so to listen to it, you go to any of your normal podcast providers, Spotify, Google, um, Apple as well. I'm not discriminatory against Apple users. Um, but other, <laughs> otherwise, um, you can also catch it on YouTube. You literally just have to search for Leading Safely. Um, and if not, you can go to my website, leadingsafely.com.au, and you can go to your normal provider via that. Excellent, excellent. Um, there are a couple of couple of little bit of little bit of questions that I just have here. Um, industrial manslaughter came in and has been adopted by most states and territories. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've seen that each state and territory that does have it has their own penalty. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Some of them are higher than others, uh, some of them less. And then we have New South Wales, which has steadfastly said it will not be introducing industrial manslaughter. Um, what's your thoughts? about industrial medicine. Is it required? Was it needed? Is there something that we could do to uh, basically see that it was never uh, needed? And um, what's, what's your opinion about whether it's actually been successful in implementation or not? Um, so I'm going to be judgmental here. And my opinion is that 100% needs to be um, implemented across all jurisdictions and states. The problem I'm seeing is that there is so much, I guess, disjointedness between what Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria does and also the penalties with um, each of the states. The individual judge on the case has the ability to change things exponentially. And as I track the different cases that are coming through, I'm seeing things like, sure, they might have pled guilty, but then because they're a good, outstanding citizen, they've not had any previous records. There's all these things that get factored into the sentencing component. It changes the outcome, so it almost makes it, like, pointless. Why did you go down the line of taking them through court and putting both sides of the card, you know, through all that kind of stress and overload, et cetera, and then have it eventuate with no criminal record, can, you know, convict, no criminal conviction, because he was a good, outstanding citizen. Um, and I did actually get the opportunity to ask a lawyer, and he said there's so many things that come into play, Georgina, with the sentencing, that they do want to be very humanistic and take a realistic approach. But my question is, like, you have people like Christopher Cassaniti in New South Wales, you know, 18-year-old, two weeks after his 18th-year-old birthday, that passed away on site with conditions that were horrendous. Should there be that kind of consideration given to the director of that company that blatantly knows things are unsafe, that blatantly chooses to take no action to stop these conditions from occurring on site and blatantly put lives at risk? And my answer is no. There should be industrial manslaughter, but it needs to be applied correctly and it needs to be done so there is punishment for actions that are taken or not taken in this way. Yeah, I the humanistic approach when uh, making judgments against people is, is one of those great notions, but it doesn't bring the person back. It, Correct. They're gone. Correct. They've missed out. Their families missed out on the rest yep. of their life, their Correct. children, their grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. It's gone. And it's reckless, as, it's reckless misconduct as well. Like, I mean, if you accidentally forgot that the drinking tap was turned on and the water overflowed and someone slipped on it, that's very different to you knew the risk assessment didn't counter that, you know, like these types of risks and you allowed it to occur. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not talking about, yeah, someone slipping. I'm talking about scaffolding collapse and died. Like, yes. And not only that, but there was no emergency management procedures. There was no training. There was, you know, like when you, when you tick all those boxes, you can't just get, sorry, mate, thanks for coaching football, but we're not going to send you to jail because you're a good upstanding citizen. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, I'm not okay with that. No, no. <laughs> I can tell you now, um, when I was back in Queensland, the first the, the result of the first industrial manslaughter case came out. Uh, I was working with some really good trainers at the time. 
Um, there was a few of us who followed that case pretty closely. And when the mm. verdict came out, we were gutted. And we were gutted for weeks. Yep. It was just like yep. we're saying five years in jails doesn't meet the maximum five years in jail doesn't meet community expectations. So it, we've introduced this new legislation with a 20 years maximum, $10 million mm -hmm. fine, and we got nothing. We got nothing. The person yep. spent zero time in jail. Yep. Uh, and the other thing about industrial manslaughter or even any of the category fines that students, when they, I find when we're first teaching them about it, almost um, are in a state of disbelief is none of that money that gets through court ever gets to the victim's families or no, the person no, that's injured. No, they have to that's right. they have to go and sue civilly. So yeah, that's they right. may have already lost someone or be permanently incapacitated. Yeah. And now they have mm -hmm. to sue the company yeah. that was responsible in order to basically, you know, yeah. get some I measure of compensation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure it's, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, but as I said, um, West Australia's brought it in now, which is good. And, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I, I think Western Australia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what WA stands for, don't you? Yeah, wait a while. Wait and a then while. Some 1984 was 19... their Occupational Health and Safety Act. They still had employee like employees listed until you know the update was. What oh, happened to workers? We don't have them. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but but they've gone from the most lax forms of uh, fines uh, yeah. and penalties to probably the, the harshest. Well, yeah. proof, proofs in the pudding. We'll see We'll see when yeah. we get a few more prosecutions underway. Uh, I, I, I know mm. some of the people for WA WorkSafe and I know they're committed to changing things, but it's, it's yeah. a slow process. They're starting from a, a very low level of knowledge and yeah. um, skill, but they'll get there. I'm confident they'll get there. Um, inter interesting enough, uh, when they did change over, and they did it early this year, once they completed their regulations, that's with an S, we ended up with three sets of regulations because we had to be better than everyone else. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. And I can say from a teaching point of view, teaching a class three sets of regulations is not a lot of fun for anyone. Um, it's... <laughs> yeah. It's just difficult. Okay. Safety stories. All right. What's the worst, without mentioning names or companies, what's the worst safety incident, accident, situation you may have seen yourself? Um, it will have to go back to my time in construction, unfortunately. <laughs> um, working in school-based environments with open trenches, with temporary fencing not being in place. And then having to come back to the office to argue with the senior level managers that provide the funding um, to, to basically argue why there should be a site shed, why there should be temp fencing, why they should have certain things in place. And then having to quote legislation. That was the hardest part. It's like these are the basic fundamentals. Um, you're not even complying from a legislative standpoint, let alone giving, you know, a, a good uh, reputation to the company with what you're doing at the moment. So Hence the crying. It wasn't necessarily what I was seeing. It was knowing that you've got 18 and 19-year-old apprentice carpenters in charge of, as in they're in site supervisor roles, you know, $15, $20 million projects. 
Mm. Um, and they don't clearly understand their roles and responsibilities when it comes to a health and safety, you know, perspective. So it yeah. was really hard. I, it's one of those common things, and I'm, I'm finding it more and more in Western Australia uh, at the moment that a lot of people in supervisionary roles, or they've just stepped into supervision, they have no idea. They have no idea of their legal <laughs> obligations. They have no idea that they should provide any level of supervision for the staff that they manage. Um, mm-hmm. It's it is scary to me. It is scary. Um, yeah. I can honestly tell you, I've been dealing with an organisation that's fairly close to me at the moment, uh, and the safety team, the safety team. We're not talking about educators who teach safety, but the safety team itself asked us for some PowerPoint slides about legislation because it's deemed that we know more about it than them. And that's a scary thing for me that you have safety professionals. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing yeah. that they're putting their hand up, but... Yeah, um, that's really tough. One of, one of the things that they also seem to struggle with is the role of the health and safety rep. They, at the moment, I can honestly oh. say, are thinking that the safety rep is part of the safety team and that they can delegate tasks out to the safety <laughs> rep. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> we, we, we have these big discussions where legislation is brought out and gently said that, no, that's not the case. You yep. still have the responsibility of making the workplace safe. You still actually have to do inspections as part of yep. representing the PCBU. But... They're mm-hmm. still on that. You're the safety rep. You should be doing this and that. And it's like, mm, yeah, there's nothing in the legislation for that. But there is actually a lot in the legislation about risk management of the PCBU. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's tough. A, it's a bit of a battle at the moment. And I think I think education, well, some some areas it's just, it's, it's a matter of drip feeding. Um, and hopefully mm-hmm. it will make a difference. All right. On your desk. I'm assuming you have a desk. <laughs> I do. All right. One thing on your desk that means a lot to you and why? Um, it's a techie thing called a Facebook portal. It's basically a photo frame that also lets me speak to family and friends overseas and in Australia, and it flashes up all the images I've added to Facebook as well. So it's good because when I'm doing interviews like this, when I'm at my home office, I can, you know, type away and then in the background people will see images of my husband, my child, et cetera, kind of flash up. And for me it kind of grounds that home office environment back to, you know, being it's still family and you are still at home and home never used to be the space you worked in up until recently. So Good. Speaking of home office, that brings up a really good topic. Home offices, we all went to home office, remote learning, remote working with COVID and uh, a lot of people now being asked to come back to the workplace but the home office my god try and get the concept across to anyone working from home Mm -hmm. that yeah the policies and procedures your workplace still apply apply to your home and that means things like having a safe workplace and that means that perhaps the employer should somehow managed to do some sort of inspection now obviously it's a bit hard for them to actually send someone out to homes and do inspections that's just when you're talking about large-scale companies that's not feasible but have you heard or seen anything that would be innovative in helping an employer ensure they provide a safe workplace 
for workers who are working remotely at home, for example? Um, other than basically scanning the room. So I've seen some employers request a video um, of the room. But I mean, if you were cheeky, you could go to someone else's really fancy house that has no obstacles whatsoever, get your phone and then, you know, video record what you're doing. Um, I work with a lot of organisations that have standard risk assessments as well, where you, you tick, you know, yes, no, yes, no, I have no obstacles, etc. But I think it would be great if there was some sort of application that let you live kind of scan around a, a room and I've identified, well, hey, actually there's, you know, bits and pieces here that need to be fixed. And that got recorded so that, you know, as a safety professional, you could assess that and say to the person, hey, you know, perhaps you need to look at doing this. I know, I know, I know, I know my lovely wife, she works for BU and she does a lot of work uh, from home. Um, mm -hmm. At one stage there, yeah, they would literally, you get your webcam off and you'd literally, at the start of each meeting, you'd have to show people your workspace. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a better than nothing concept. Uh, if, if, I was, if I was to tilt my camera just over that way for a little bit, you'd see uh, mm -hmm. moving boxes everywhere because we're in the process of moving and uh, it's just yep. out of frame because uh, <laughs> we don't want to show that. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, all right. Look, Georgina, thanks very much for being on the show today. I, I really do appreciate your time. Keep up the great work with the podcast. Thank you. And, and hopefully we might get you on for a group discussion a bit later on or either later on this year or maybe early next year, if that would be all right. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Thanks, Tom. Excellent. Thanks, Georgina. No worries. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.